This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Army says it's made big strides over the past year in adding more rigor to the way it manages its civilian workforce. Among the changes, a brand new agency to manage civilian career fields, new ways to measure how civilians contribute to Army readiness, faster hiring, and a restructuring of career pathways to give employees a wider range of opportunities. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu has the details. The changes are happening as part of the Army's broader people strategy, and more specifically under an implementation plan that applies specifically to civilians. Officials call that plan a living document. The first version was released a year ago, and a 2.0 version is due for release next spring. Christopher Lohman, the senior official performing the duties of the Undersecretary of the Army, says the overarching goal is to use modern talent management practices to make sure the Army has the skills it needs for a future of multi-domain operations. So the question is... Do we have the right skills at the right place to support an MDO-capable Army? Remember, fast, lethal, and mobile. That's what the future battlefield is going to look like. We're going to have to be able to respond with the skill sets that we own and only the civilians can bring to the table to support the warfighter and any of the changes that are on the table that need to be implemented. That's really what the Army people strategy is all about. It's what the civilian implementation plan is all about. Right? How do I identify the skill sets I need? How do I acquire those skill sets? How do I employ it? And how do I retain it? One of the biggest outgrowths of the implementation plan so far has been to stand up a brand new agency to manage civilian career fields. The Army Civilian Career Management Activity, or ACMA, reached full operational capability this month. As part of ACMA's stand-up, the Army also restructured its 32 career programs, consolidating them into 11 broader career fields. One goal is to give employees more flexibility to take their skills from one position to another within one of those broad career fields. Another is to use a less siloed approach for new employee recruitment. Edward Emden, ACMA's director, says it's the first time the Army's mapped out ways to recruit new civilians as an enterprise, including by building civilian recruitment into its public marketing campaigns. A few commands in the past had recruitment efforts, but they were really one-off specific to their commands This is our first time that we've had an enterprise approach to recruitment. So we have been building partnerships with various universities throughout the year to access some of their uh, their talents and their their events. We're very proud that we hosted our first recruitment event in in August of this past year, and we're going to host a total of 50 events over this over the coming year in FY22. Um, And so there's a lot of opportunity there um, again for us to reach out to colleges and universities. Um, as well as professional associations to ensure that we're, we have access to top talent as well as diverse talent um, to really build our workforce. And the Army has opened up new channels to recruit civilians, especially younger ones. In August, the service stood up a new internship program to target students who are still in college, hopefully piquing their interest in government service before they graduate. A new initiative called the Army Fellows Program replaces the Army's previous apprenticeships for new college graduates. And another new initiative specifically targets college students pursuing STEM degrees. In exchange for four years of obligated service as an Army civilian once they graduate, the Army will reimburse 50% of their college tuition and cover other expenses like books. Again, Christopher Lohman. So that's talent acquisition and skill sets that we need. The number one pushback I got in every single meeting was, oh, they're all going to leave. We're going to hire, we're going to pay this school, and then they're going to leave after four years. I said, yep, some of them might. So we'll hire 1,000 over the next five years, 200 a year, 1,000, right? Even if 50% leave, we have 500 more than we started with. 
And you'll have another 500 that have now a history of service, understand what it means to serve their nation, right? This is a win-win. This is an example of the Army people strategy and the civilian implementation plan on how we get after what skills do we need, where do they need to be, how do I acquire them, train them, and retain them. For almost all of those fresh out of college hires, the Army is using direct hire authorities to speed up the government's famously slow onboarding process. 97% of interns and fellows were brought on board as direct hires within the past year. And the service has also made progress toward reducing its overall time to hire. Officials say they're now closing in on the Office of Management and Budget's goal of 80 days, compared to an Army-wide average of 91 days as of 2019. But the implementation plan isn't just focused on hiring the right employees. The other pillars involve developing, employing, and retaining talent. And the people strategy helped officials realize they had major work to do in those areas, too. For example, a vast proportion of supervisors in the Army Civilian Corps weren't getting the leader development training that the service's own regulations require, says Michael Formica, the deputy to the commanding general at the Army's Combined Arms Center. Army Management Staff College responsible for delivering professional military education to our supervisors. Over that period of time, less than 50%, there are 38,000 supervisors in the Army, less than 50% of them have been educated at the appropriate level to perform those responsibilities, even though AR 350-1 says that needs to happen. There isn't a uniformed member that would allow that to happen in the uniform cohort, but we've got almost 19,000 Army civilian supervisors who haven't been properly trained and educated in leader development. And I will tell you from firsthand knowledge that the Army Management Staff College did a great job redesigning that course to ensure that leader competencies that our Army recognizes and are critical to leadership are built into that fantastic curriculum. And beyond formalized training, the Army's creating a latticed model to develop its civilian leaders by letting them pursue broadening assignments outside of what had been more rigid career tracks. That model is part of a forthcoming training and development strategy that's expected to be laid out in the next version of the Civilian Implementation Plan. Another item on the to-do list, coming up with ways to clearly articulate how Army civilians contribute to military readiness. The Army has not yet well-defined what that means so that we can look a senior leader in the eye and say, we've got a problem because we don't have enough dollars to do this, and that's directly impacting the readiness of the Army. So we have commissioned a RAND study that's going to dig into that and give us some thoughtful uh, approaches to what that can look like on a pretty fast timeline for a study as well. In line with that, we have shown some success with our Army staff in the G357. There are two strategic readiness tenants. Uh, they are training and leading for which the civilian cohort is now going to be captured. Now, the metrics aren't where they need to be, but we're at the table. So we have an opportunity through thoughtful examination to be able to influence strategic readiness tenants associated with the total Army readiness uh, review to highlight to senior leadership how well the civilian uh, cohort is doing. One reason Army officials are optimistic that they'll be able to make meaningful improvements to how civilians' careers are managed and hopefully encourage their best talent to stick around is that the Army now has a formal governance structure to oversee and set policy for the civilian workforce as a whole. Three new bodies, a Career Management Executive Council, a Human Resources Executive Council, and a Civilian Enterprise Steering Committee will all report to a new Army People Strategy Board of Directors, which will, in turn, report to the Secretary of the Army and the Army Chief of Staff every 
quarter. Those new governance structures, combined with improved data analytics across the whole of the Army civilian workforce, should eventually let the service do a much better job of forecasting its workforce needs and matching talent to demand. But that's a stretch goal, according to Carol Burton, the director of the Army Civilian Human Resources Activity. Today, we don't have a way to do that. We post and pray or we attend job fairs. But what we're going for is a talent marketplace, ability where we can forecast requirements, we can determine what skill sets we have, and then if we need a future skill set and we don't have it, we can either start to train towards that requirement or we can acquire new talent. Huge initiative, super hard. If it was easy, we would have done it. It's a multi-year project, and we're just now starting to develop the requirements. So stay tuned for more on the talent marketplace. Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, 
We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. 
and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.